Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Very excited today to be joined by Dougie Shaw, founder of Edinburgh Bike Fitting. Dougie is an expert bike fitter who's built quite a reputation, not only in his native Scotland, but across the UK and further afield, having worked with some of the world's top bike fitters. Dougie's got an interesting background. He started his life athletically as a gymnast. He studied sports science. He's become a cycling coach. He's been a racer, but his real passion is fitting. And throughout all those disciplines, he's brought a unique eye and attention to detail to become one of the best bike fitters around. Having spoke to, spoke to Dougie offline, we agreed that it's such a broad and complex discussion that one podcast wasn't going to cover everything. So he's very kindly agreed to join us in a number of discussions where we can break things down to discuss particular elements. So we're going to start off today by talking about your fit on the turbo. And also, given we've all got so much time at the moment, how potentially you can make some tweaks or just to make sure that your riding position is optimal by making a, doing a few checks yourself on the turbo, which is very kind of him. We'll also be doing another, a number of other series, in, including looking at shoes and cleat positions and different shoe options, which I think many of you will find pretty particularly fascinating. And we'll also be looking at more sort of high performance things further down the line in terms of race position, TT positions, many other factors within bike fitting that we'll discuss on a topic to by topic basis. We're very keen to hear your feedback as well. So do reach out, contact at unfound.cc. That's contact at unfound.cc. Let us know if you have any questions or, or if there's anything you'd like us to put to Dougie. And obviously we'll, we'll give you Dougie's contact details in the show notes as well. So feel free to reach out to him as well. The last thing from a personal perspective, please, if you haven't already, do download the Unfound app join our global community of cyclists and get involved. It's a bit of a crazy time for everyone at the moment, but there's a brilliant community of cyclists from around the world on there. Share your rides if you are getting out for solo rides. Share any interesting articles or films that you've seen and just interact. I think it's a great place and it's a nice distraction in this crazy time to mingle with other cyclists from around the world, find out a little bit more about their corners of the world where they ride or their disciplines and basically distract yourself from the uh, the madness that is the covid pandemic anyway without further ado let's get speaking to dougie enjoy very good well i've given the sort of formal introduction but and, and sort of mentioned that what we're going to be doing is hopefully a, a series of podcasts and a various various different elements of bike fitting i think you and i spoke offline and there's so many different pieces to the puzzle when it comes to bike fitting and performance as well that it's that it's easier to to break down so today's episode we're, we're going to talk about fitting for the turbo and also using this time in lockdown to maybe tweak a couple of your positions while we've got so much time on the turbo intensively but before we kick on to that let's find out a little bit more about your background obviously you've built up a fantastic reputation in the bike fitting world and a brilliant business how did you get into it what's your background tell us a little bit more about that so i got into bike fitting kind of as a result of i don't know like a bunch of a bunch of a bunch of decisions that led me on the way to this path i think the reason the reason specifically why bike fitting I think kind of thinking back I'd I'd always really wanted to sort of start my own business and I think when I was just getting into cycling I'd kind of come from gymnastics so I think being a bit more body aware was definitely maybe something that was working in my favor so for instance when I was getting dropped from rides I would find that my left foot and right foot for instance wouldn't feel the same or my left leg and right leg wouldn't feel the same and I just I just kind of I don't know I I felt like that that, that really wasn't right and and despite me asking all of my all of the guys I was riding with oh do you not get these problems for instance they would just sort of say oh well you just you just get used to it and just don't think about it and I think for me just maybe the way that I am I, I didn't really settle for that because I knew that it didn't have to you know surely there has to be the right saddle height for the most optimal transfer of power to the pedals and like absolutely perfect so yeah this... and to be fair that's completely right I think a lot of cyclists just sort of grin and bear stuff or just, just oh, yeah. don't think about it totally and, um... unnecessarily as well by the way <laughs> but, yeah um, yeah do, do think, you think your gymnastic background had had a part to play in that? Because obviously that's a very detail orientated discipline where you're focused on absolute perfection of your your execution. Maybe I guess I don't I, I don't I didn't come into it any other way. You see, so it's difficult for me to know. <laughs> but I think may, maybe I think definitely as a, as a gymnast you have to know what your arms and legs are doing pretty much all the time. So maybe being slightly more aware that I wasn't in control 
for instance of various parts of the pedal stroke maybe that's maybe that's one thing i can put my finger on and I, de- I definitely didn't feel comfortable i think one of the main things that used to get me specifically with cleats was whenever i would pedal on my bike as a kid i just couldn't ever remember having these problems whereas now i was having these big ones and whenever i would pedal on my crappy hybrid bike that i had as a student with flat pedals i never seemed to have the same issues so i was like well what the hell's going on and yeah why is it with cleats on I suddenly developed all these problems. Um, so I just started asking all these questions. And I think I was at the I was in the right place at the right time with um, with my discovery that I was having these problems because I was I was doing a sports science degree. So I was able to get into the lab at university and well, basically just any any subject that I had free reign on or any study that I had free reign on during my degree, I would just engineer some sort of cycling related topic to basically self-treat myself of, of my performance and my bike position woes. So it was quite a good time actually to to research a bit of background knowledge on, on cycling, reading through Google Scholar and PubMed. Yeah, articles that's, that's on cycling be, performance. <laughs> like, yeah, um, well, it must be quite an interesting route. I'm sure lots of bike fitters don't come into fitting with such an acute awareness of their own body and then having the opportunity to look at this from an academic perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, um, I think that's a good point. And I think, especially for me, when I was first starting out, and even sometimes now, I kind of take my route into bike fitting, maybe a little bit for granted. And, and yeah, don't really, well, maybe, maybe in the early days, um, like, when I, well, for instance, when I first started bike fitting professionally, I just, I, I don't know, I kind of just, um, I'd done a weekend course with Retool and um, just like, kind of thought I knew everything about bike fit straight away. And I, I almost kind of left my sports science background behind me and, and, and thought, that I'd learned everything in, in one go and I think after I'd seen about 10 or 15 paying clients I very quickly realized that there was a lot that I didn't know about a very niche subject so sort of ever ever since the early days of uh, of the business I, I've just uh, basically not stopped trying to learn or find out a bit more about why I feel like that and I think that's the exciting thing about fit is there's so many things going on in a bike yeah. position that you, you really I'm just constantly searching out people um, kind of across the world, other bike fitters and, and uh, trying to kind of develop little relationships with as many of them as I can, basically, so I can just ask them all questions <laughs> about, yeah. about their experience, which is quite a nice thing, actually, that a lot of them are so willing to to share, collaborate, because I've definitely learned most about bike fit specific knowledge, if you like, um, through just conversations with, yeah, just like experts all over the place, really. ESCO is a uh, kind of like a, I don't know, like, like almost like a bike fitting, a bike fitting teaching organization, bike fitting um, knowledge organization founded by um, G. Biomized in Germany. They're, they're, uh, they, they develop all the pressure sensors that go um, like, um, right. I don't know, on various riders' saddles. And um, I've been along to their um, sort of bike fit symposium a few times. And, and, and it's actually not necessarily the symposium themselves, but the, the, the people that you meet there that you can, you know, you can just send them loads of emails and ask some questions. So I think uh, that's that's one thing I've I've definitely done over the years consistently to try and just keep learning more all the time. And another bike fitter I met actually a guy called Curtis Cramblett. Um, he he's got a bike fitting business in the Bay Area in San Francisco. He's been bike fitting since like day one, is before bike fitting was even a thing. You know, twenty thirty years ago and. Um, godfather basically the god the, the, the rock star godfather of bike fitting who charges yeah. like 500 pounds for a bike fit for like two hours in uh, in the bay area of san francisco so yeah he's like the i don't know i don't know he's like absolute legend of, of bike fit really and he's been great because he's come over to my studio a few times and you know i can learn more in one hour of, of watching him fit one of my customers than than i you know than, than i would i would learn and in, in weeks doing it well months years even doing it myself so it's it's good when he comes over actually because uh he just got, he seems to have an answer to every question i throw at him with regards to bike fit yeah so i, I think uh, yeah it's quite fun actually like that because i think um it, it can be quite lonely just doing bike fit after bike fit all the time and get a lot more joy when i learn the answer to things that maybe frustrate me during some bike fits that you know i maybe didn't know before so so yeah well, that, i've spoken to you offline it seems like a genuine can, there are so many data elements and feedback loops and different ways of looking at things. It's, it's a constant process of evolution and every athlete is so different. That's why, you know, it's, a, it's fascinating to be, able to, you know, very kind of you to give you your time up to come and discuss some of these elements. We, we mentioned obviously your academic background and, and your genuine interest in it and, and obviously your gymnastics background. But 
you've also raced yourself. You've done a bit of racing and being quite successful in certain disciplines as well. I understand. Oh, I was, I was, I don't know. I was okay. Um, I got to about second cat level in road racing. I, I, I did, I did enjoy it. I just, I just didn't really get on with with the courses that were particularly hilly. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, because I could never. Really I can get relate to that. Oh yeah, yeah. I always, I always loved my bacon rolls and and my cakes. Maybe a little bit too much to be a great racing cyclist. But then I got quite involved with with grass track racing. So I would, I would travel around Scotland during the summer and just race around essentially what would be a bumpy Highland Games field on a track bike that was fixed geared with cross tires, doing like as fast as you could 800 meter sprint races and and you know up to 8k and, and devils and all sorts and um yeah i managed to do that pretty much full time for almost two years um so but i had like a, almost an 18 month period actually of of pretty much not having a job just riding riding my bike racing highland games circuits uh, it was two two full seasons it was great actually it was really good fun didn't have any money well, but-, but just enough to get by but <laughs> Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's yeah. two two questions that scream out for me for that. I mean, firstly, how has this not taken off more widespread? It sounds like a tremendous amount of fun. And secondly, for people that don't know, can you give them a bit of an idea in terms of what are the Highland Games? What do they look like? How many people there? What kind of, you know, tell us all oh, about yeah. it. This, the Scottish Highland Games Association, they're the organiser, if you like, of the of the events. And, and it's almost like every town not every town, but a lot of towns around Scotland, they if they put on their games and they're they're um, sanctioned by the, the SHGA, yeah, they basically have a, bu- a bunch of standardised events. Um, not every games has a cycling, has a track that you can ride bikes around. Um, but but basically, just imagine thousands of drunk people round a field cheering whilst you're sprinting in a almost circle shape, but often the the tracks aren't quite perfect, as I mentioned. The bumps. There's people like throwing cavers on the field, and and yeah, like sprinters, athletes, all sorts. And a lot of the races are handicapped as well to keep it exciting for the crowd. So you know, even if there's a you know even if there's like a slightly less conditioned guy up the road, you know you you, you know the fitter you are, the further back you start, and you've got to make up a huge gap. Sometimes like you know, in an 800 meter race, sometimes you're talking up to you know, up to a hundred meters, no maybe way. more actually. Yeah. Yeah. To, to catch these people before you can then sprint around them. So, you're, you, you know, if the, if the handicappers call it right, the race could be on right to the last corner. So it's usually a proper sprint to the line. And yet the prize money in, in a lot of these Highland games is actually, you know, alarmingly quite good. <laughs> so you can like, you know, if you win all of the races that day, you could be going back down the road, you know, with two, three, 400 quid, maybe up to, I think the most I won in a day was like almost 600 pounds right up north in Holkirk. And just for riding your bike around the grass field and, and being able to win. But it's there's more to it, obviously, than the money. It's a bit of a laugh. And, you know, it's the same people you're racing with each week, the whole yeah. atmosphere. I think you have to want to do it. But I, I enjoyed it a lot more because of the crowds than, than road racing. Plus, I was I have to say, I'm completely, I'm completely dumbfounded as to how this is not taken off as a global sport. I mean, I think we should try and set something up and roll it out across the world i don't know it sounds so much fun and no hills as well no hills no hills yeah it's honestly it's it's mind-blowing how good it is Uh, have you ever heard of a a, like a cycling photographer called gerard gruber yes yes so he believe it or not so he's quite i didn't realize he's particularly well known actually so i randomly met him in edinburgh through a mutual you know not necessarily even friend and anyway, I told him the next day I was going to the, this Highland Games in Pentlochry to to race my bike. And he was like, oh, that sounds super interesting. So anyway, he came along and Gerard Gruber ended up spending the whole day taking pictures of me racing my grass track bike around the field, which no is like, way. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you share some of those photos with us? We'd love to see some of those. Uh, do you know, actually, oh, no. maybe we can we can appeal to him to, to share them because uh, he spent the whole day taking photos of me and I still actually haven't seen any of them other than on his camera on, on the day. This would, this would have been five, six years ago. So um, he said, he's, I've, I've messaged him a few times and he's emailed me back saying at, at one, one day he'll, he'll have the time to go through his camera and find them. But, um, but yeah, so sadly I've never seen those photos, but uh, they were pretty good as, as far as I saw. So I don't know. So if anyone knows him, give him yeah. a nudge. I think, he's, <laughs> yes. I think he's, it's, his wife's a famous photographer as well, right? Is that mm. correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
amazing brilliant photographer as well i love some of his images yeah you should if you haven't by the way if you're listening to this and haven't um been on their website um is it gruber images i think yeah yeah um, yeah oh just unbelievable <coughs> good well i think when lockdown is over i'm gonna find a field somewhere and um, maybe we can get you down or we'll come up and we should yeah. do some uh, some track some uh, grass track grass track sprinting. yeah yeah with a handicap i really like the sound of that bit as well um, it's the best very bit good. Yeah, very good. So um, moving back onto the fitting bit, before we sort of delve into sort of main topic of today, I'd really be keen to to get your views in terms of who should have a bike fit, how often and why. Who should have a bike fit, how often and why. So yeah. the how often bit is is if you if you've got any problems that you're that you're not sure about and that kind of leads nicely into the into the why so if you've got problems or if you want to know that you're as optimal as you can be and how often would be if your goals change for instance if you were really interested in getting comfortable on your bike or really interested in maybe trying to pursue a more advanced position that that would be maybe a sign that you could definitely go down the route of of researching a fitter in your area and there maybe by the time you're injured by the way i should say it's it's sometimes not necessarily too late because it's never too late but a lot of the time if you if you're worried maybe about getting injured you, you should definitely go and see if you can get your alignment checked in your in your sort of like feet knees hips sort of uh, cleat position so Doug, you who, just interject interject there when you say if you're worried about getting injured is that is if you've got subconsciously you're worried about your cleat position or you get a slight bit of pain somewhere or is it too late by the time you feel something i guess it's not too late but see for instance um if you could imagine you have a bank account of health (laughs) in any in any given joint or any part of your body and if you imagine if if your position isn't quite right every time you go on the ride you uh you take you you take out a little bit of money a little bit of uh, a little bit of sort of body health out that account and um and and the resting in between is uh it's is, is like you putting back in and if you imagine over the course of six months you gradually become overdrawn and then one day you know you get a nasty a nasty bill from the bank for giving you an over <laughs> an overdraft uh, an overdraft statement um and that that's your little injury so um it's almost like a process like for instance if you if you don't have a good alignment the chances are you're you're not going to know about it until it's very deep set and uh, your body is moving in in not necessarily terribly wild ways, but you you definitely will have developed a compensation by the by the by the time you've you've got a, a nasty injury for sure. So I think um, a lot of the time in in bike fits, I, I I tend to once I've done a lot of the obvious changes. So for instance, if someone's got a saddle that's far too high or the reach is is far too long, and I, I sort that out, you start to be able to pick up you know, problem movement patterns. So for instance, maybe they're sitting slightly to the side of the saddle or they're sitting forward on one side or, you know, for, for whatever reason. And usually that's that's because they're 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 using a dominant side or that's because they're protecting a side that's slightly sore. But again, totally subconsciously. And uh, or perhaps one side of the body isn't as able to go through the range of motion that the that the um, pedal stroke is, is putting them through. The, these are all body, very body related issues that, that can interfere yeah. with your with your fit. And th- that's kind and, of really just, the just, just on that note very quickly there. So sorry to interject again. Yeah. What, what about leg length discrepancies? How, how, how does that come into that? Yeah, well, you could imagine you've got, you have to be very careful how you treat leg length discrepancies for a number of different reasons. So, but if you could imagine some, sometimes it's like you've, you've got what you'd call like a functional leg length difference and, and, a, and a structural leg length difference. So structural being the bones in your leg are, you know, two centimeters shorter because you've maybe broken your leg or, or uh, you were maybe just born that way for, for whatever reason. And you've got someone who, for instance, if you could imagine has a, a, a really tight, back on the right hand side or really tight hip right hand side and that that causes them to maybe twist on the bike forward on on that same side so say my my right hip and my right quad were really tight and my entire body was leaning forward on that right hand side that would that would mean that my my right leg is essentially closer to the bottom bracket than my left leg so at the bottom of the pedal stroke my left leg would appear to be really straight in a video analysis and my right leg would appear to be quite bent actually there's no difference in length so um sometimes in in these cases you're actually better 
recommending they go and see a good physio or maybe giving them a couple of basic exercises off the back of their fit, like stretches or strengthening to encourage maybe the other side. You know, it, it just depends what's wrong. So say so say the um, they're really using this right-hand side because it's a really dominant, much stronger side. And the reason they're not losing the left is just because it's nice, like real, really weak. Then you could maybe suggest to just do some strengthening. And there's various ways you can test that, of course, but without getting into that. I'll, I'll, and then sometimes I'll run out of talent with that and just send them off to a physio and get a physio's um, recommendation and then get them back in once they've once they've sorted their problems out to see if I can maybe get the saddle in an even better position again. Yeah. So this is the thing. A, bike, a good bike fit can be a bit of a process d- depending on what's wrong. Sometimes the stem's just too long or the cranks are too long or the saddle's the wrong shape and you need a different, you know, you basically need to get different components to sort someone out properly. But a lot of the time you're you're trying to maybe identify, well, you're, you're identified um, bad, you know, bad movement and, you, and, and if it's a body problem, then no stem in the world is going to sort that if you know what I mean, you need to, you need to get that sorted. So it, it really is just, it, it's, you're just looking all the time as to, you know, how can I get this person in a better position how do I improve them? And, and getting back to the original question on leg length discrepancy, yes, you do have, you know, for instance, you could you could wedge or not necessarily wedge, but shim, shim out a, a difference in leg length. But you have to be very careful with what you're doing there because if you could imagine if I've got a, if you could imagine the center of the pedal spindle is the, is the, is the sort of center of rotation of a, when you push down on a pedal, if you, if you stack up a foot, maybe up to, if you, a centimeter of additional stack on one side, you're actually taking, you know, you're taking your foot further away from the center of rotation of that pedal. You're going to lose dex, you know, dexterity in that foot. So you're going to lose feeling of, of connection. You're increasing the, uh, if you like, the the torque on that on that center of rotation as well. So you could kind of be solving one problem of leg length difference and creating a problem of like a really unstable. Say my right leg was shorter and I'd be shimmed it up to a centimeter. Um, mm. we, we would have a really unstable right foot. So you'd have to be very careful as to you don't just blanket shim because you've been told by one physio one day that you had one centimeter leg length difference. So you go and find a centimeter's worth of shims. You, you have to kind of, I guess, either find a fitter that you want to experiment with or you have to just, you know, don't do it all in one go is all I'm saying because you could end up with, you know, particularly bad Achilles tendonitis. That, that happens quite a lot with over shimming. I've seen that a few times. Really? Uh, oh yeah yeah um and that's a big problem because then you know the only way to solve tendonitis usually is to just rest which means not riding your bike which is a big problem for a lot of people that'll be listening to this <laughs> yeah that sounds uh, horrific actually yeah oh it's a pain in the arse <laughs> not being able to ride yeah. okay so so we were talking the original question was um who should get a bike fit and and, and why bike, and when and why yeah exactly yeah um i think who should get a bike fit I mean, you could break it down into different into different classifications. I see a lot of girls and guys that that have very busy jobs and very busy home life, and and basically the the bike for them is is escapism and 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 also just enjoyment, and um, they don't want to bother trying to spend hours working out how to get the right saddle position. They just come and pay me to do it. I have people that maybe have just reached the limit of self experimentation after you know quite right fully giving it a go themselves and i see people that want to eke out extra performance i see people that are really suffering with pain on their on their bike ride and they don't necessarily want a bike fit they uh they they just almost see that they need one as a sense yeah loads of loads of people should get a bike fit it just if, if you think that you're maybe missing out on on getting everything out of your body potentially because of lack of alignment on the pedals or you you worry that you might be injuring yourself if you if you have bad alignment or i don't know and, and you're asking the wrong man because any cyclist <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i think it's 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 one thing i would say if you're on the fences if you if you search out a very good bike fitter it's you usually learn quite a lot about how your body moves um on on the bike and um if you can arm yourself with with the right questions and and go you could learn a lot about you know how you interact with the pedals or how you interact with the saddle that can inform your decisions going forward as to you know what saddles and and handlebars are right for you or for instance if you're considering buying a new bike one of the one of the best bits and the most well-used part bits of equipment in my bike fit studio is my adjustable bike so for instance i can match that up to the the stack and reach of pretty much any any bike frame that i can you know find online so i see a lot of people that this is a good example want to buy a canyon (laughs) 
they'll uh, they'll just come and ask me what size and I can set my adjustable bike up to to match that exactly and tell them what length stem they'll need to tell them what length crank they'll need to tell them what saddle they'll need to tell them what stem bar everything that that, that they would need to be purchasing to kind of fulfill the position that that they find most optimal and, and we found for them to be most optimal based on their goals that day so and going yeah, one beyond that do you, are there better bike brands better geometries for different individuals yeah so you yeah for instance so a good example here would be i did actually i I also sell bikes i should say so um this is this kind of bleeds into the story a little bit where a guy had been looking at a particular brand of bike and a particular model of bike because he liked the look of it um and it was a special occasion for him it was his 50th birthday and he'd always really wanted like a proper you know no no budget nothing like hidden cables really you know great looking deep section bikes everything all the di2 in the world all that and so based on the best size for him i set up the adjustable bike in the studio and sat him on it and within 10 seconds even he acknowledged that the handlebars were so far away from the (laughs) from the from the saddle that he just would never have been comfortable and it would have been a waste of you know six seven thousand pounds easy and there's there's no stretching or core exercise in the world that would have fitted in enough with his lifestyle to make that bike a good choice for him so we were able to really get absolutely everything sorted to the to the length crank he actually ended up having loads of loads of problems with his uh his, his hip flexion so he ended up needing to go down to really short cranks and um, wide pedals and you know a couple of different choices of saddle and bar width and um, it was just a, he just ended up he just ended up basically spending his money in, in a much better way and, and I guess like maybe um, rather than going for a, an aero geometry with a really long reach and a really low stack he went for an endurance geometry frame but he was able to still have a fairly aggressive position by the time we shortened the cranks but you know, not as low as the the frame would have limited him to. So he was able just to get a bit more out of his bike. And um, a lot of bikes, for instance, in terms of once you've bought your, once you've made your purchase, you know, you could buy a bike with a really integrated front end. So if you need a shorter stem, well, uh, you know, you basically are are stuffed because you you can't shorten it enough to to work for you. So you're you know you're always going to be uncomfortable. But yeah, there's there's different bikes for different people. I I see a lot of workers that that sit down quite a lot all day, so they have very very tight lower backs and um, and very tight hamstrings, and that that has a lot of implications as to how what their pelvis does, for instance, when they when they reach forward to the handlebars that, that just tends to really pull everything forward and create a lot of soft tissue discomfort, if you like, um, on the nose of the saddle if the bars are too far away or too low. So if you've bought a bike with geometry that is is very aggressive, you're going to have a hard time and, and potentially compromise the handling characteristics of your bike geometry um, and head shoe angles and all the rest of it if uh, if you shorten a stem too much and, and raise the bars. So you have to be careful. You have to make sure you, that, that geometry is 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 right for your position if you're wanting to get the most out of the bike um yeah definitely and i bet i bet that's probably the most common thing you see in terms of the tight hip flexors tight lower back that's something certainly i can relate to and i'm sure many others can as well is there anything that people can be doing off the bike to help address that or help ease that in in any sense and if they are working off the bike and make gains with regards to stretching that is obviously another reason to continuously bike fit or tweak or change or have that ongoing relationship with the bike fitter yeah i mean definitely i wouldn't i would encourage anyone who's interested i mean you don't have to go back forever but if you really want to get more out of your bike and, and it's something that you're interested to do then then finding a good bike fitter in your area and, and developing a good relationship with them where you can just talk through all your issues and, and be really patient and i guess the main thing is like set your expectation and i'd be wary of a bike fitter that that will promise you the perfect position within two to three hours because I'm, I'm telling you right now unless you know i don't know I, I think it's impossible to get someone absolutely perfect forever in in two to three hours and if you and, and I think just being willing to, to to go through a process with someone that you trust is, is um, I guess, the best way to do it. Yeah. Sorry. What where, what was the original question? Just because I think I felt I was digressing a bit too much there. No, I was talking about I was talking about stretching and and oh, uh, yeah, stretching. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so best things to do. I mean, I actually 
on a Monday night, I actually run run a, a cycling strength um, strength conditioning and flexibility class specifically oh, for right. this problem. Yeah, um, so I did see a lot of of guys that were um, and girls that were maybe a little bit too weak in their glutes, than that, you know, or maybe a little bit too tight in their lower back, and just um, take them through in a nice safe environment. Uh, all all the stretches and exercises that um, I guess I, I would be recommending to people, and uh, I also on not necessarily my staff, but we've got a guy who's a, sort of a physio and a medical doctor as well. So he's like really knowledgeable and really experienced um, in in sport, and it's good to have him on hand as well, just to run things past if, if someone has particular issues, say with a lack of flexibility somewhere. I've got a good relationship with a few physios in Edinburgh that we uh, mm-hmm. that I, I send people to, and um, people that are listening i mean the obvious one would be like yoga or or pilates but um it, there's there's no secret really if you're inflexible the, the, <laughs> the only way to get more flexible is to is to consider stretching and then yeah. actually doing it and so whatever whatever works for you i mean i tend to encourage people that are really limited in flexibility just to start off really basic i mean literally even stretching for for 10 seconds is is infinitely better than doing nothing so if you've got tight hamstrings, just just thinking about it's it's probably going to be hurting your your sit bones on your saddle, for instance, if your if your hamstrings are very tight. So just I don't know there's loads of videos on YouTube or Instagram uh, for people to do their own research. I think I think the main thing I could do right now is to encourage people to if they are very inflexible and they seem to be having lots of issues on their bike, maybe putting two and two together and um, just encouraging them that it will be worth it to get more out of their bike for sure. Yeah, I don't know if that. Yeah, that's great to me. That's great to know. It's, it's so easy to, to sort of neglect that side to conditioning. And, and you're right. I think a lot of people know that they need to do it, probably don't do as much as, as they should. I guess In terms like, of what we want, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, all I was going to say is like, for instance, just, just like a little example of this, I think it's maybe important. So if, if you, if you sit off, if you just jump off your bike or if you, if you just sort of where you're standing, if you, if you do, if you just do a squat, if you're really struggling to get low into your squat, then I, if you think if you liken the top of a pedal stroke to a very similar range of motion, so if you if you're not able to sort of get your bum lower than um, if you like ninety degrees with your with your knees off the bike, then don't expect your body to be able to generate loads of power in that position over the top of the pedal stroke on it. So it's just a good way, I guess, of finding out if, you, if you've if you got problems that are big enough that would need addressing. Well, I, I am super bad at squatting. I've literally, as you've said that, done it, and I'm going to send you a photo just to yeah. demonstrate. Basically, <laughs> that's about as far as I can go. I've just sent it. To I'll see this. Um, <laughs> well, actually, do that again with uh, with your feet a little bit wider and then do it again with your feet set to the same width as you as, as they'd be restricted to on on the pedal stroke and you'll very quickly realize if you need wider axle pedals or not if it's much easier when your feet are wider that's another little thing you can do yeah, <laughs> yeah. a lot easier when the feet are wider shimano actually have a really wide um, they have a plus four mil pedal spindle that I recommend quite a lot to people with very with with a little bit of trouble getting low in a squat. You probably find they're more comfortable. And then Speedplay, they're not right for everyone, but uh, Speedplay have extra long spindles. This is another one actually. Stance width is pretty huge with uh, with bike fit, and it's one of the things that is the most underrated, I reckon. Especially for people that don't really care about losing their aerodynamic properties. Considering increasing your stance width is is what, probably one of the best things you could do to get more comfortable. I hadn't even heard of um, widening stance width for the bike to be honest with you until you mentioned yeah, it yeah. when we spoke um, if you have if you have bandy knees you should really consider it <laughs> legs that legs that go out when you're standing if you struggle to get your knees together or if, if you're even if you don't have that problem even if uh, you, you struggle to to get into a low squat you, you would probably find that there's, there's a few issues especially on, on like if you feel like you've got a feeling of pinching not necessarily on the soft tissue, but right in the creases of your leg. If you if you if you really struggle with uh, with pinching or chafing there, then just just take off take off your cycling sh- um, shoes and put on your your flat shoes and uh, just set your feet a little bit wider than your uh, than your cleats would let you normally have your feet. Just a couple of mil at first, and then go wider. 
and you'll probably, well, hopefully you'll find some improvement as you go wider. That could be a nice little feedback loop for you to do. Or if you've got some pedal washers experiment with uh, just putting a couple of mil. You don't really want to go more with pedal washers than a couple of mil because you could wreck your crank and I don't want to be responsible for that. So just be careful. <laughs> um, Very good. There's so much to talk about. It's crazy. And obviously we want to talk about the turbo element and we will hopefully get you in to do some some more. I thought yep. shoes and cleats would be a good one to do in the future because I think cleat positioning and shoes as well, that there are so many dimensions just to that one topic aren't there oh massive yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll leave that to another day but let's given everyone's in lockdown or most people around the world are in lockdown let's have a little chat around position not only on the turbo but also what people can do while they're spending so much time on the turbo to maybe think or be a little bit more conscious about their positions how do you want to kick this one off i guess the best thing i would say is is feedback loops so what you're wanting to try and do is, is work out if, if you've got an issue. And, and the other thing I would say as well is, is um, on this note before we get started is quite a lot of the time where you're feeling a problem is. So for instance, you could have quite heavy weighted hands on the handlebars and, and feel that you get a sore neck and sore shoulders and maybe numb hands after, after a while. That's quite a common one. Quite a lot of the time, you could that, that, those issues could be coming from the saddle, for instance. So a, way, a good way of testing that would be if you're, if you're sitting on your bike just now, you could be asking yourself, you know, do my hands feel light, medium or heavy? It's like the first question. So do my hands feel quite light as in hardly any weight? Medium as in there's a little bit of weight, but I'm in quite an aggressive position and I, I'm, in, I'm trying to pursue an, an aero aggressive position. So maybe that's okay. Or do my hands feel really heavy? Like this, you know, this shouldn't be, this, this shouldn't be this heavy. There's a problem here. Now, the first thing I would do if, if, if I was trying to sort this out and I was on a turbo trainer would be to make sure your bike's level. Um, and you can do that really easily by just taking a tape measure from the floor to the front axle and just and seeing where the, the axle of the turbo trainer that you've got is and, and just making sure that your bike's level or if you've got a really long spirit level, making sure your bike's level. Because if your bike's pointing downhill, then you're always going to have more weight on your hands. So that's the first thing I would do. So if you've got quite heavy hands, there's a there's a couple of things that that could be going on. Do you have quite a big shoulder angle? Is is uh, is there a chance that your that your stem is too long? Um, if you were to film yourself from the side, is it is it sort of saying the obvious thing that you that you look like you're trying to hold a Graham O'Brien style Superman position? <laughs> and and in, and in that case, if your saddle is all the way back as far back as it can go or your stem is really long, or your frame seems really long, then if you've got a, if you've got a spare stem lying around, that, that might help. But from, from there, the next thing you could do is you could just build up a pedal stroke on your bike, on your turbo, and just without... I'm going to do without, this now, by the way, while I'm speaking. I've just jumped on the bike. Oh, you're doing it. Okay, right. So what I want you to do is to, without pushing yourself off the handlebars, just at two hands at a time, lift yourself up to an upright position whilst you're pedaling. And let me know when you've done that. Okay, now are you pedaling? Yeah. Okay, so what I want you to do is two hands at a time. Just go as far forward as you can go towards the hood, and and let me know when you um, when you lose control, and you feel like you fall you feel like you you fall into the hoods, or are you able to control that the whole way to the hoods? I'm a bit lo- I'm a bit lopsided. I feel bet- easier to do it. I can get quite far forward on my left leg than my right are you pedaling yeah and the pedal stroke yeah yeah okay so so when your left leg's forward you feel it's easier to to control yourself yes yeah all right okay okay so this is a different thing okay so if one thing i would say is if you if you felt like there's like a lack of control there in the instance i would ask you to then keep pedaling but sit up tall with your hands totally off the handlebars yeah okay do you feel like you're completely planted or do you feel like you're getting tilted forwards or do you feel that that you that your bum is sliding down the saddle? No, I feel pretty planted. You feel pretty planted. Okay. Yeah, pretty planted and balanced, yeah. Okay. So then but then actually so let's ask you the question to start with when you go back to the hands on the hoods. Do you feel like medium or heavy? They feel feel okay. They feel medium, I'd say. Medium. Okay. Do yeah. you have like a do you have an even sensation of pressure across the hands? Or do you feel like you've got more weight at the back of your hand or the front of your hand? More weight at the back of the hand, probably. Okay, that's quite an interesting one. Are your hoods completely level as they come off the, the, the handlebars? 
Yes, yes, they are. They are level. Okay, but you do yeah. feel like you've got more weight at the back of your hands. Yeah, it's slightly raised, actually. Oh, so they could be tilting your hands up and, and pushing yes. the weight back. So a good way to do that, that particular one, would be to, to get an Allen key, loosen off the bolt that, that is connecting your, uh, your hood to the handlebar just enough so that you can move it, but not, not so that the bolt falls out. And I want you to get the hood positioned until it feels like it, it, it creates a completely even sensation of pressure across the, the top of your hand between your thumb and first finger and, and the base of your hand so that that sort of differential and pressure goes away. And then another thing you can do actually just before you do that is I want you to, to loosen off the bolts of your stem again whilst you're on the turbo, just loose enough that you could move your handlebar round, but not loose enough so that you're obviously going to fall off your bike. But I want you to then sort of put your hands on the on the drops of the bar and rotate it until you feel like you've got a nice even sensation of pressure across the hand. Tighten the, the handlebar in that position before you start moving the, the hoods around so that you know that when you're on the drops, you can, you know, you're in a comfortable position at the same time as you can go up to the hoods and also have your, uh, ah, your hand position tip. even. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a good thing to do uh, if you if you're worried about bar setup and if you're struggling to do both of those things, for instance, be able to reach the shifters on and brakes on the drops and uh, and have an even sensation of of pressure across your hand on the hoods. You might want to consider maybe going to like a compact reach bar if you've got smaller hands and a compact drop bar because it's way easier to set them up comfortable on the drops and and comfortable on the hoods for for beginners and even some advanced riders as well it's just much more comfortable so i think we were getting a bit lost there so when i was asking you do you feel planted on the saddle well if you don't feel planted on the saddle when you sit up so we've kind of moved on from the handlebars now one of the things that i would want you to be thinking about is does is the saddle is the saddle level is the saddle is the saddle structurally sound so for instance if you if you jump off your bike if you're still on it and you uh and you go from the from the nose to the back of the saddle. So let, let me know what sort of angle your saddle's looking at. Quite level? Yeah, very yeah. Very, very level. level. Okay. So that's probably why your hands feel that's probably why you feel nice and stacked when you when you sit up off the off the handlebars, because your saddle's quite level. Now, if you press the middle of your saddle down, does your saddle stay firm or does it does it deform like a lot? No, it's it's a very firm saddle. Yeah. Okay. So if your saddle deforms quite a lot, then with your with your fingers, then imagine what your saddle's doing when uh, when you're when you're sitting on it with with all your weight. If you could imagine, you've got the where the where the saddle rails feed into the nose and where they connect to the back of the saddle. Those are the two reinforced points. If the middle of your saddle is deforming a lot, well, then essentially that's not providing any support. So the only place you can be getting support is right on your on the sort of back of your bum cheeks and basically on your soft tissue on the nose of the saddle yeah, ouch. Um, yeah so that, that that's an, another pretty big one actually and and um yeah even some even some relatively new saddles if they've been i see you know sometimes people with with even quite good saddles that uh, that were quite expensive that have been set in the wrong position and, and they've just been deformed or for instance the saddle is brand new but it wasn't ever structurally sound in the middle you your pelvis actually relies on on a fairly not ne- not necessarily like rock hard saddle but like a saddle that doesn't deform so that as you sit on a saddle and and your pelvis rotates forward you actually want to be able to load the the bilateral hard tissue so that you cut the, the pubic rami on your pelvis so as as you rotate forward you you've got some connection to the saddle there so not the middle of the middle of the middle is soft tissue but either side of your soft tissue is is are, are these sort of pubic bones and you want to be sure that you're that you're loading them because yeah. so you've got a nice even loading of, of pressure across the the hard tissue when you're riding yeah so that you're, you want to spread the pressure right as yeah. wide as possible and, and if you're if yeah. your pelvis is well supported then the chances are you've got a nice stabilized saddle now if if you feel that you've got a lot of pressure on your on your on your hard tissue so not necessarily even sit bones at the, at the back but but like pressure on the on the hard tissue towards the front of the saddle You've got a nice firm saddle, say even with a channel on it, but you're still having you're you're still having soft tissue issues or pressure issues that lead to numbness. Then the chances are that your saddle could be maybe in the wrong position, so maybe too high, or maybe your handlebars are, are too low. So there's there's ways that you can work that out. 
So if, if the bars are too low, then the chances are you're losing control. As, as we do that feedback loop from sitting up tall, two hands at a time, to going forward to the hoods and seeing if you can maintain control the whole way without kind of having a jerky drop onto the hoods. If, if, uh, if you can't do that or, or if you're losing control really early on and falling onto the hoods heavily, um, try raising them up and, and doing that again and you'll probably find it's, it's a bit lighter on your hands all in. A bit more control, yeah. Yeah. I just go back one step to, to the saddle piece that I just had a question about. Yeah. That people might be thinking if they're doing these tests at home, do saddles have a, uh, a life length? I mean, do saddles sort of wear out to the point that they need to be changed? Are they getting soft there? What, what do you see in terms of life expectancy of a saddle? It, it varies based on if it's been in the wrong position all its life and you're loading the front of it up, then sometimes it can, it can wear away. Um, some, some saddles, for, for example, I've got a Pro Stealth, which is a very hard saddle. It's got a hard and reinforced underside. And it doesn't really deform, even if it's been in the wrong position <laughs> or if it's quite set back. So, like you, so yeah, there is a shelf life. I would say um, some some old saddles. If you, you if you're just really struggling with them and you can't seem to get them to work, just try try that one. If if it's if it's very it's saggy and it resembles like a hammock almost. <laughs> Um, yeah. Then and 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 you also feel like there's a lot of weight on your hands. You've got to question whether or not your pelvis is being stabilised or supported enough. And in terms of how long they last, it's it because it's so variable. It's difficult for me to give you an answer. But it could be a couple of years. It could be a couple of weeks if it's been in the wrong place, or if it's some saddles are out the box crap, basically crap saddles that you don't want to be buying. Difficult to give you an example of brands, but generally the cheaper ones, almost all of them, almost all of the really cheap saddles. Uh, or if you get a, a bike on the cheaper end of the spectrum, the stock saddles that come with bikes, they're quite typically they quite typically don't have enough structural support between the the mounting points of the rails on the saddle. So some so buy, consider buying a half decent aftermarket saddle, even if it's the the wrong width because you've not checked that out before you've bought it. As as long as it's got some structure there, the chances are you're going to be loading your pelvic structure better than before. But that's another thing actually with saddles, getting getting the right width is quite important. And it's not just as simple as sitting on the, I don't know if you've seen this in some shops, they they, they sit you on and measure your sit bone width in, a, in an upright position to see what saddle width you need. Are you aware of that? Have you seen that? Yeah, I mean, what I have seen that, but what, what's, talk me through the difference between saddle width. What, what kind of person needs a wider one, a smaller one? How does that work? There's no correlation between sit bone width, if you like, and, and sort of, and, and height. So just because you're really tall, doesn't mean you need a wide saddle just because you're really short doesn't mean you need a narrow one it's all about being able to sit on the saddle then there's a few factors here uh, if you have a very upright bike position then your pelvis is going to be kind of essentially rocked backwards so you're going to be more prominently sitting on your sit bones and if that's the position that you find most comfortable chances are you're going to need a wider saddle because as you rotate your pelvis forward everyone's pelvis unless they've broken it is a triangle so wider at the back where your two prominent sit bones are and narrower at the front towards what we said before was the pubic rami bones. As you rotate forward and as you load them more, that's why a lot of aggressive racing saddles tend to get narrower at the front okay. because your, your, your pelvic structure is narrower at the front. So you can be, it can be loaded with a narrower saddle. So it does depend if you, if you, if you're like, if you set up really tall on one of these kind of measuring sit bone measuring devices it can be quite deceiving as to as to sit bone with you have to experiment it is it's a, it's better than doing nothing and if you're buying completely blind otherwise then it would be it would be wise to start with that tool and pick a couple of saddles up the ideal thing that you would be wanting to do is trying to follow some of the feedback loops that we've been talking about with regards to setting it up is it is it firm is it is it is it fairly level? Another one, actually, getting your saddle at the right height. Even if it if if your saddle is is far too low, the chances are you're going to have saddle problems. If the saddle is far too high, the chances are you're going to have saddle problems. Even if it's even if everything else on your bike is perfect. Okay, it, to just to, to just to interject there, uh, a very quick saddle height check. Then uh, the old heel on the pedal is that correct you way can, to you, sort of roughly check saddle height. You could start with that, but it totally depends on your on your cleat position, your pedals, your crank length as well. It'll it'll definitely make sure that you can you can reach it. A nice dynamic one, because the thing is, as soon as you start pedaling, a lot of these a lot of these static feedback loops are are almost useless. But uh, what what you could do is you could, could sit on your bike and you could just unclip 
just unclip one of your feet and pedal backwards, just nice and slowly. I don't know if you want to do this for me just now. Right, let me <laughs> but, do this now. Let me yeah, do this. yeah. I, I took the shoes off actually because. All oh, right. Well, I did a turbo this morning and uh, they're a bit they're wet. A bit smelly. <laughs> they're a bit wet. Yeah. So let me get back on. Give me one second. Right. So I'm back on now. Okay. So what you want to do is just un- unclip one of your feet while you're sitting on the turbo and just let that. Which one is it? Left foot or right foot? I've unclipped my right foot. So you've unclipped your right foot. So just just let that right foot just dangle for me off off the pedal yeah. uh, and to the side so it's not in the way. And I want you to um, just pedal backwards nice and slowly. Pedal pedal backwards. Oh, That's yeah, it. Back. Yeah. <laughs> so over the top of the pedal stroke, do you feel like there's a clunky kind of jerky spot? And, and through the bottom of the pedal stroke, do you feel like you've got complete control the whole way through the bottom of the pedal stroke? Uh, over the top is fine. And at the bottom's okay, actually, yeah. I tell you what I do feel, I feel tightness in my hip flexors over the top. Over the top of the pedal stroke, okay. Yeah, so I feel in control of it, and I feel pretty much in control at the bottom as well. Pretty much in control at the bottom. Um, yeah, yeah I, I generally feel in control. Try that on the drops? On the drop tip. Yeah, good. Tighter over the top? Yeah, tighter in the hip flexor, blimey. Yeah, yeah. Try, um, probably because your pelvis is rocking back. So have a, have a quick think for me. Do your sit bones feel more prominent? If you stop right at the top of the pedal stroke. Yeah. How do your hands feel? How does your how does your sit bones feel on your saddle compared to at the bottom? Uh, with with one leg unclipped, I feel I have more pressure on my hands. Yeah, your body's really pushing. Do that on the other side now. So what I want you to do is go back to the hoods and clip in the right foot and unclip the left. So I've just clipped in my right foot and that pressure's already immediately come off my hands. Yeah, so you're a bit more supported yeah. by your, your feet as well. Yeah. I've unclipped my left foot now, and I'm paddling backwards in the drops with my right leg. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't have the gripping in the hip. So that's smoother? Yeah, smoother, and I'm in control the whole way around, really. So you're in control through the bottom as well. So this is an interesting... If, if So for you, if you're at home... And I guess not not necessarily you, Jules, but if you're listening, if you were if you if you really struggled through the bottom of the pedal stroke, for instance, you had a really jerky kind of almost feeling of like your your as you pedaled backwards and as you were beginning to go from approaching the bottom of the pedal stroke to approaching like going up the top as you go forward, I would be I would be sort of questioning. So if if you if you lose control at the bottom, I would be thinking you know maybe experiment with maybe putting your saddle a little bit a little bit lower and seeing if you can gain some control through the bottom of the pedal stroke now. That'd be one thing you could do. It's it's cleat position also has quite a big influence on on this feedback loop. So um, and that's going to be definitely another podcast by the way. But <laughs> but then also whilst we're at it on this feedback loop, you 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 mentioned that you had tightness in your hip on that on that was it on that left side left when side. your right foot was unclipped. Yeah. Yeah. So I would yeah. immediately be weird. asking I you always- I always in my head feel that my, my right hip is the tighter of the two hips, but maybe not. Um, I mean, I would be asking for differences. I'd, be, I'd certainly be investigating for differences in strength, differences in, in, in available range of motion, injury history between left and right and dominance as well. But if I get you to clip into that left hand side for me one more time and go on to the drops again and pedal, if you pedal backwards and just speed it up this time to like a normal cadence. Ba- backwards. If you pedal backwards again a little bit. Pedal backwards, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the drops. So what I'm hearing is that pedal accelerating downwards quite fast compared to how fast it's going up, yeah. And pedal forwards do the same thing when you pedal forwards. Just at a normal just at a normal cadence. And I can hear I can hear the turbo isn't as smooth as you push down. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So that I, I would be so, uh, there's a problem there anyway. There's, there's a problem somewhere. <laughs> could be because the crank's too long. It could be that the shoe's not quite right. It could be because the, the cleat isn't quite right. But what what you're looking for there, it, it sounds basically like the, the, that part of the pedal stroke for you is, is causing a problem. And the reason why I've got you to unclip one foot and, and kind of listening out to what the other side is doing is, is um, if you want to really get perfect on the bike you have to sort of really break down and work out right is is there a problem on on one side compared to the other because a bike is is completely symmetrical in every way so you, you have to be willing to to accept that you have to take both sides into account um, 
So the ch- the chances are that that impediment over the top of the pedal stroke on that left hand side, you're you're probably compensating for that somewhere. So be interested at some point to to look at your bike position from a video link, or maybe even come and have a look at you riding your bike and see if we could make that smoother. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, we'll come on to the uh, video link bit in a second. But I had one more question prior to discussing that with you: is that some people we've spoken to, and indeed you were on the group ride on Sunday feel that they are or they have bike comfort issues on the turbo that they don't feel outside are are there any reasons why that might be and is there anything that people can do there are a couple of things that are going on there if you think about part of when you're outside and you're pedaling a a lot of there's a lot more distraction if you like so this is the first thing that you're always going to be more acutely aware of how you're feeling inside even if you are riding on zwift because you're slightly less distracted by wind you're slightly less distracted by cars and potholes and all the rest of it so there's that, that having your body's ability to perceive things is um it's you've, you've only got a certain bandwidth and you're certainly more focused inside on on what you're feeling and how you're feeling but that's only part of the picture i i sort of would tend to sort of say that, that generally when you're pedaling inside if you, if you look at everything that's going on, the chances are that you're going to be struggling more with heating. So you're going to be running a bit hotter because you're not having the wind cooling you down. The, the chances are, because of that and some other reasons, your power output is going to be slightly lower. And over the course of one hour, two hours, if you, if you think about as you push down in the pedal stroke, if you, you've got that equal and opposite reaction of, of that downward force pushing you back up, if if you've got less power going down, there's going to be an un. If you've got if you've got power going down, there's going to be an unweighting effect on the saddle, and, and you just don't have that same effect inside. If the power is if, if the power is lower than when you're outside, and you can you can look at this in literature as well. A couple of things I've just punched into Google Scholar as we were preparing this because <laughs> we were talking about this before we were on this podcast. For anyone that's thinking I've just got a well times. Um, if you look at an analysis of variability in power output during indoor and outdoor cycling time trials, authors here, Owen Jeffries, uh, Mark Waldron, um, you, you know, if you read the, the study, you could sort of see like conclusions like findings uh, indicate a greater magnitude of variability in power outputs during cycling outdoors. And I'm just like reading abstracts and not really looking through. But then, and it's, I'm really kicking myself because I looked into this and researched this and I didn't actually... I read a study and I didn't note down the authors, but if you look at the subjects, yeah, this is a really good one. Reliability of mean power recorded during indoor and outdoor self-paced 40k time trials. If you like MF Smith, Davidson authors, this is a study done in 2000. There's a nice table of um, of mean power outputs between eight subjects, indoors and outdoors. And, and uh, you're looking at average powers up to 30 watts lower inside and for the same rating of perceived exertion, for the same, for the you know, for, for basically for the same task, like a a, a sort of for self-paced forty k time trial. So uh, if you're definitely, yeah, there's, there's evidence there. I mean, I think um, the, the 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 pressure on a saddle inside, given it's the, the the other thing actually, I should say from a bike fit perspective is if you are used to riding in a certain position outside. And then you've got your crappy winter bike, which is now your turbo bike inside, and it doesn't have the same saddle on it. It's not in the same position. That's going to be another pretty big reason um, yeah. without even going into sort of the human physiology level <laughs> of why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's, again, this, the, the problem is with cycling, um, because your body was never designed to comfortably ride a bike for three, four hours plus, in, unless you do your best to, to take care of uh the the variables you're almost certainly always going to have issues unless you're willing to spend a bit of time just setting things up and making sure you get them right yeah we obviously talked about some of those points you very kindly talked about a few things that people can test at home over the next day or two the one thing to mention that we also discussed off air was just really ensuring that the the bike on the turbo is horizontal so basically taking that spirit level between the two axes yeah that's like the main yeah Making sure, because if you're trying to make sure your saddle's level, for instance, and and then your bike's pointing down by a few degrees, <laughs> then uh, that's going to cause problems outside with uh, with soft tissue as the saddle points up, um, and vice yeah. versa. And, al- and also laterally as well. You know, if your floor's not even, that's going to put yep. more pressure on one side of, of one yep. leg side as well. So that's also important. The, cha- 
the, ch- the chances are um, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that have loads of Cycling Plus magazines that they've read once or not even at all lying around. They're perfect turbo spacers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get them. <laughs> yeah. That's quite handy for me. I've got, we've just had some building work here. So I've actually got those building spacers that I've got propping up one side of the uh, the turbo. So that was but quite handy. That's it. Yeah, before you make any adjustments or, or make any sort of decision on, on what angle your saddle is or looks like, um, make sure your bike is level first. And then uh, before you make any annoying mistakes that you'll have to go and fix, it'll cause you time. Yeah. So there, there's some great tips for everyone to have a go on at home. And obviously one of the things that you're doing as a business at the moment during lockdown is basically offering people to do, is it a video audit? Is that correct? Just sort of make a sort of an overall audit of, of bike position? Yeah. So it's it's obviously not quite the same because some elements are just... It's, it's always a little bit easier when you're in the studio and you've got access to a bit of technology to, to make some questions a little bit easier to solve but you, there's a lot that that you can be that you can achieve in yeah in, in, by just by sending over a couple of video clips of yourself and and pictures of your bike click position so we're offering a you know a, a, essentially an online video based bike fit session where uh, you can basically send us your videos and I can come back to you with some suggestions and if you want to book a basically a 90 minute an hour sort of 90 minute consultation we're you know we're charging charging a fee for that yeah and usually it's a sort of an action-packed hour and a half where you can learn loads about the way that you ride a bike <laughs> yeah perfect well obviously we've we've seen from my tight <laughs> grippy left hip that, that that's something I'm very keen to do. So how how do we how do people find you? We can, we can put some information up on the hub and obviously what people need to send you what a video from the front and the side and the back both both sides probably. Yeah, um, yeah. or email you in the first instance just to make contact and so you could go to um edinburghbikefitting.com and i've actually on the on the home page um you'll see what we offer and just just the other day i was updating the website and there's a there's an option there for online bike fitting you'll see it on the on the page so that's just edinburghbikefitting.com um, or you could email me on uh, just contact at edinburghbikefitting.com and I'm, I'm sure we can uh, yeah put a couple of links up to the website and just my email address and contact details if anyone would like to arrange yeah just a conversation or just some feedback on their position that'd be great superb well as I said I will definitely be doing that and I encourage anyone else that's you know just while we've got this time if they if you have any sort of niggles or, or just sort of questions in the back of your head potentially about Bike, bike fit do reach out to dougie he's tremendously experienced and got a fantastic reputation so i'm sure he'll be more than happy to help and why don't we why don't i do the audit with you dougie next time we do the the shoe and cleat episode we can sort of talk through some of the things that you found about my bike position and some of the tweaks we made just to give people an idea of how it works yeah that'd be great yeah perfect Excellent. Are there any other questions that or things that you wanted to, to sort of raise with regards to turbo riding or, or sort of tweaking things internally? I mean, I guess one of the things we talked about the other day was uh, just how to find a good fitter in your area. If you do oh, feel yeah. that you want to find someone, then um, yeah. just if you if you Google the the IB, IBFI and you know, bike fit, it'll take you to um, International Bike Fitting Institute's um, website. Um, it's just ibfi-certification.com just to give them a big shout out. Um, if it's, it's probably the best way if, if you can't find any good recommendations locally for a bike fitter that is any good, then if they've actually got a find a fitter section on their website. Fantastic. And obviously, and I think you were telling me that they're, there's, they're rated on, on the website as well and they're peer reviewed. So it's, it's pretty robust. Is, is that correct? Yeah, you really have to, I mean, obviously everyone's got to start somewhere like, like I did as well. And so there's different levels. There's like level one, level two, level three, level four. And it's and it's based on combination of different elements. So they, they look at any academic background. They look at how many bike fits you've done. They look at if you've got saddles available for you to um, to try, for instance, just different bits of technology, kicking around your studio, just to give people an idea of what to expect when, you know, when, when they book a bike fit with that fitter. And it's just, it's, for me, it's the best standardized system that exists so far, because I think the, the main thing is there's there's lots of different bike fit companies out there so for instance like retool g biomized bioracer leomo and i think like some companies some of the companies uh, actually most of the companies i mentioned just there they're very good at essentially 
being open to the fact that no one bike fit technology provides someone with all the answers, but can play an important role in giving some insight into particular issues and, and some objective feedback. But I, I think that some bike fit technology companies are, are maybe guilty of trying to suggest that their their system is far superior to anything else that is available. Yeah. And um, I think yeah, that the IBFI are, are really nice and, and I guess a really nice independent organization that um, that I've tried to get, I don't know, some, some level of unbiased recommendation of, of a good fitter in your area. Yeah, that's good to know because, as I said, having spoken to you prior to this, it's very clear that there are so many different elements, so many different things to look at, so many different types of technology that, that really it's, it comes down to experience and also the personal connection that you have with the, with the bike fitter. I suppose that's probably one of the key things if people are going out there looking for local bike fitters. In terms of what warning signs w- would you suggest or what things should people look out for 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 fitters obviously the personal connection is is first and foremost you mentioned bike fitters that suggest that they can get you into a perfect position in two hours is there anything else that people should be wary of when they're they're having those conversations with bike fitters or any other tips in terms of how to engage with a bike fitter? Uh, I think I think if you could, I think a, a lot of the time, if a, if a bike fitter is isn't really scared of divulging information um, to you, if, like if it, if it seems relevant on your question during an email conversation or a phone conversation, and as to w- and, and what they can do, I, mean, I think what I'm getting at there is, is if you've got a problem that you really want solved, for instance, you're having problems with the saddle, or you're you're um, wanting to know if they can optimize your 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 pedal stroke or your power output. When you you don't be afraid to ask them like, like how can you do that or what you got that can help me out because I, I think I, I certainly am not offended when people ask me quite specific questions about exactly what process we're going to go through not you know not to necessarily give them information for free but more just to kind of work out it's, it's quite an expensive service so you want to make sure that the person you're paying that money to knows a little bit about what they're charging for what you're trying to solve yeah so i think it, don't don't be shy to just ask a few questions i think is the main thing and, and if they don't seem willing to answer i mean i'm not talking about setting out a massive stall of, of like 100 questions and, and and a perfect explanation to each one but i think you could get a feel just by asking just a good number of questions uh, and just explaining the problems you're having and, and seeing if they're willing to get on board with helping you or not and i think another important one to to just notice um like not every bike fitter knows everything and uh, if they if they seem to come across like they're you know they've they've done one weekend course somewhere one day uh, and and they seem to to be able to promise you the world then i would be maybe be skeptical yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. that's been super interesting i really appreciate you taking the time to come and speak to us hopefully everyone can have a tweak on on the turbo over the next couple of weeks and in the meantime we, we will do my video audit and then reconvene to do an episode on on shoes and cleats and what brands offer what and I think that will be a, a very useful conversation for people as well and then off the back of that maybe we could do a, a time trial specific one and get Alex on and as well um, yeah. he's a, an aerodynamic he's an engineer by the back, by background so it'd be good to get the two of you having a chat around the evolving uh, trends within time trial uh, positioning as well yeah that sounds really good I'm perfectly up for that brilliant well thanks so much for taking the time we will all the information that we've discussed today with regards to academic articles in terms of Doug and Edinburgh Bike Fitting, the services that they do, that will all be in the show notes. Do get in touch with, with Dougie if you want to have a look at your bike position over the next couple of weeks and we will be back very soon. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for joining us, Dougie. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub. We'll see you on there.